podcast that discusses storytelling from all angles to help you and us answer the call when the muse screams, tell the damn story. We'll be exploring the challenges of being creative in fiction, illustration, comics, film, and nonfiction. Hey, Alex Simmons. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. We're back. We're back again. Hey, Chris. Chris Ryan, 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 Ryan. Ryan. Oh, what? I was just on summer break. Let me get serious. All right. <laughs> here we oh, go. You never have before. <laughs> oh, man. So, Good to see you, man. Hanging out in the summer. Yeah. Hot getting a little hot here. Oh, in August. What am I going to say? It's getting hot. <laughs> Woo. I tell you. Yeah, that's right. Fan, fan, fan. I got some AC going, so I'm I'm there good go. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Here here uh, in the library. <laughs> hanging hanging amongst the books. Yeah. That's yeah. that's I got my I got my writer's tan. Look at how much deeper it got. Yeah. Yeah, like what? The... <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Hold that sheet of paper up there next that's to you. There we go. Yeah. The sheet of paper wow. got a better tan, but that's well, the way it go. goes. Episode 232 of Tell the Damn Story. And mm -hmm. today. Today we are going to well actually you came up with a clever title for this. Yes. Yes. And and your title was The We're All Doctor Who Now. There you go. There you go. Now some folks are going, oh really? Wow. Let's hear more about him. No, a we're whole not episode talking. about Doctor Who. Yeah, we're not focusing on Doctor Who actually. But but and then there's it's, some people who don't know who Doctor Who is, and that's a whole nother matter. Well, that that's why they made Google. So yeah, that's right. Find Google, out. Sucker, you'll find but, out. You know, Doctor Who travels time and space uh, and with, without any restriction or limitation, really. Yeah. And that's who lord, we yeah. are now. Isn't he a time lord? He he or she or it is a time lord. Yes. That's right. There you go. There you go. Depending on who's playing the part at the time. Yes. Okay. But these days, as long as you have a streaming device and a, a remote, you also are a time lord, and that's, that's what we're right. going to talk about today. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So it started, I mean, the conversation that spurred on this particular theme started a couple of days ago when, when Chris and I were talking, and I was talking about a student of mine yes, who is, I teach, by the way, screenwriting at the uh, New York Film Academy, and the student was working on uh, a short film, uh, a lot of symbolism in it, and he was trying to come up with uh, a point counterpoint imagery a scenario that he could he could he felt good about and I happened to reference after hearing what he was going for I happened to reference a scene of you know out of out of the the, the mind that is called as Chris refers to it out of my mind as the the Alex Simmons wayback machine right because yeah. my head would just go hey let's go back to right but anyway I happen to reference a scene from a, a film called the music man and what? as far-fetched as this is, this kid is talking about something that's about symbolism and metaphors and everything. And I go, oh, how about this as a point of inspiration, this scene from the music man with the, you know, I won't say what it was, but he goes, oh, really? And he makes a note of the film. And I just and chuckled. And you, Ed. I, I just chuckled. I just chuckled, you know, because there he was going to go watch the movie. But you want him to watch a very specific... Yeah, very specific scene, and he will. And also a very specific movie. It had to be the one with... Ron Howard and, and Robert Preston. Yes. There you go. Yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. Preston is the star. And actually, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the female lead. 
but yet. Oh, but my uh, Shirley, Shirley, Shirley Jones. Shirley Jones. Shirley, Shirley Jones. Jones. It was Robert Preston. That was before the Partridge family. Absolutely. <laughs> and a very young, very, very young Ron Howard. That's right. Who went on to become a TV actor and then also a very well-respected uh, director. Uh, director. Film sure. director. Right. But, you know, it was funny that you said that movie rather than, yeah, go, you know, Hugh Jackman's on Broadway with it and all that stuff. No, no, no. Yeah, right. Or, or, the scene or, or was, some Igmar Bergman films, right? Like, you know? See this film and that ties into our theme today because he is able to. Absolutely. You know, you can find YouTube. almost anything. Yeah, we don't mean just YouTube, which used to be the Wayback Machine to utilize for right. finding almost anything in the video realm. But yeah, now we've got streaming services all over the place. Mm -hmm. And many of them initially were just showing films that were two, three, four, five years old. Right. But now, oh my goodness, um, I'm going to do this now just because it's so much fun. There's a, there's a streaming service, a free one, that you can drop the app onto your phone or your tablet or whatever, called Pluto TV, right? And Pluto TV initially was X number of shows, some of which were airing now and were only like a season behind, okay? But then they decided, well, wait a minute, this, this, all this content, to use the internet phrase, there's all this content, content from way back. So sure enough, and I'm just gonna quickly refer, they have reality and they have a number of reality shows on here, which are, many of them are reruns. But then they get to hang on here. Uh, game shows. They have a lot of those, too. Uh, I'm just but from okay. current times or from back. back current when? times and from the past. So they have one channel because Pluto TV has channels within. Right. So one of them is called Classic TV. And under their Classic TV, just some of them, the odd couple, the original, you know, ones of Walter Matthau and, and uh, not Walter Matthau, I'm sorry, with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. Right. Uh, the original Dick Van Dyke show from the, the 60s, Webster, right? Family Ties, Mork and Mindy, Three's Company, The Love Boat, The Andy Griffith Show. It goes on. Old episodes of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, the original Carol Burnett Show. So literally, you can go back 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You know, Rifle, The Rifleman, the old Perry Mason TV series from the late 50s, early 60s. You can go back and watch these episodes if you're an old timer who wants to just relive right. or if you're curious or if you're bored and you, and you don't want to watch any of the new stuff. You know, yeah. you've got yeah. all of this renaissance, not renaissance, what am I saying? All of this repurposed material right. that you can, you can glean by just tapping a few keys on your phone or your, your tablet or your computer. It's just from, it's it's, it's fascinating that uh, some much younger folk are uh, kind of doing these things as almost sociological projects. Yeah, you know, your son, uh, your godson, my son, uh, Tyler, will say, well, "I'm going to see this show," and when he says that, it means he's going to watch the entire run. You know, and recently he's been into some uh, shows that ran in the 90s so like season one or two would be before he was born and tina and i remember them and then he'll reference something from a latest season 
and we have nothing because the two of them, you know, the twins were born and we were just either making bottles or, or changing diapers one way that it was either going in or coming out. What are you going to say? Um, so, and, and when you're a new, I was, I was talking to a former student who's a, got a parent is, is he and his wife parents of a three-year-old and a three month old or something like that. And, uh, I was teasing that he didn't know anything about new music or new two, three or new movies. And they were like, we just know them and bed. <laughs> we're so tired. And, and that's what happens, you know? So he's, time and unconsciousness. Yep. Yep. So he's in there exploring time and space at a whim. And so yep. many students are doing this. I, you know, before I retired, I would, I would come into a class and you'd hear people talking about a show that you knew ran in the eighties. And they were like, you know, I've been, and that like two friends had decided to watch the whole season. They would be or a whole run, and they'd be talking about episodes yeah. that was clearly before their time. And, you know, and the thing, the thing too is like I I refer to a lot of material, which is again where you came up with the Wayback reference for me. I refer to a lot of material in my classes, you know, with my my um my my uh, film academy classes that I teach, but also with my independent students. I will refer to certain materials, certain storylines, certain approaches to storytelling, um, certain film uh, techniques and things. Because for instance, um, when people are making short films now or web series now, and they're talking about, well, how do you tell you know, a story in 30 minutes or 22 minutes or 15 minutes? You know, you can't do that. It's gotta be 85, it's gotta be full features. No, it doesn't. Because back in the yeah. 50s, 60s, most of the TV shows were 22 minutes long. Right. You have a 30 minute episode, which included commercials and a station break, but the actual story content was about 22 minutes. Right. So you had to have your beginning, middle and end worked mm -hmm. out, mapped out your character development, whatever you could do within the limitations of that structure, and then bang it out, get it done and record it. And so right. subsequently, yeah, it's like going from long form poetry to haiku. There is a way of paring down to the essential material, what is necessary to get the story across in this short period of time. And right. that in and of itself is a skill to develop. Uh, yeah. which, which again, when you and I, I, I know when you were uh, teaching uh, in schools, you were doing this too, is helping people understand how to break down stories right. and how to convey stories and where the plot points need to advance and all of that. Well, that's a great uh, teachable, learnable moment in, you know, was the, some of the stuff that's being offered in Pluto and the other way back machines um, are classic shows, right? Mm -hmm. The failed shows don't really, I can't wait for, you know, it's going to be Uranus, the, <laughs> the, the, the streaming device that has all the shows that fail, you know, um, but they're classic for a reason. Most of the time they get two things right. They get structure right and they get character right. And mm -hmm. it becomes, you know, a uh, an exercise in learning how they polished these characters and then put them in different situations in that same structure and how to keep it fresh and all that sort of stuff and there's a lot to learn from there exactly now, go ahead please no i was just gonna say exactly because one could even say with especially with some of the earlier shows there was a formula oh, but yeah. In order for the audience to keep coming back, there had to be an appeal. Oh, there yeah. Had to yeah. Be, you know, there had to be engagement to where they wanted to revisit these characters every week, understanding that certain circumstances were going to repeat themselves. Right. You know, 
all, whatever the problem was, it's going to be res- resolved in 22 minutes. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you can six episodes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can find Barney Miller somewhere. Oh, and yeah, Barney Miller. Each ep- almost every episode is self-contained, and it's in the squad room. And you would think, wow, how redundant is that going to be? But they populated it with very strong characters that bounced off each other well, and then they introduced absurd situations in the the arrest and stuff that pulled out different aspects of the different characters. And again, it's an exercise in, I guess you would call it coloring within the lines. How can you express yourself within this? Right. And at the same time, by the way, Barney Miller, for folks who don't know, is a comedy series, but not guffaw comedy. Cop cop comedy, yeah. Yeah, it's cop comedy. But what they would do is through humor, and I often say one of the most powerful genres is humor because it gets people to drop their guard. Through humor, you would have this, you know, this people are arrested for these absurd kind of crimes and things mm-hmm. like that. And there would be some banter and stuff back and forth between some, but then they would deal with racism. They would deal with right. social issues. They would deal with human issues. And you would see humanity explored. Yeah. And we would always be on the same set. You know, in the squad room, the first season, they bounced around a bit more. The first season, and this is another thing about developing. And what I'm often trying to say, and I know you've done this too, you tell people that art is a process, a developmental process, Mm -hmm. right? So the first season, they did have Barney's married, he's got kids. And so there would be a certain amount of time in the squad room and a certain amount of time in his apartment at home with his wife and children who were high school or college level, right? But after a while, and I think it was at the by the end of the first season, beginning of the second, somehow they realized, no, we don't need to really go outside. Right. We can bring the world in here yeah. and, and keep it almost like a, a theater piece. Right. right? right. An ensemble yeah. theater piece. And that focused in so much, it, it just really made it so real. You never saw the downstairs level, but you knew there was cops downstairs. And Levitz would come upstairs and all these things would happen. And yet, you know, as you're making fun of this character, he's also dealing with some sort of particular social pain or personal pain or, you know, loss or whatever. And these were really well done stories, again, told within 22 minutes. Right. It would be an interesting um, compare and contrast uh, assignment in, you know, some TV course somewhere for them to watch certain amount of Bonnie Miller and a certain amount of uh, Brooklyn, was it 911? Because in essence, it's very similar setup. And then you can see um, the issues that were still important in the two different eras and Mm -hmm. how they were handled differently and all that stuff. And again, it's one of those benefits to being to us as an audience being Doctor Who, you know? Yeah. And uh, if you're ready to segue, I wanted to invert this into how modern TV is experimenting with all this. And I want to use Stranger Things as an example. Go for it. You know, we were talking about and the professor was talking about having to do stuff in 22 minutes, you know, and Stranger Things. are There's more than one meaning of that title because the episode length is becoming a Stranger Thing 
as yeah. they experiment with, okay, what if the stories are, you know, the episode's this long and then the next episode's a little longer and then the final episode's really movie length and how would that affect the storytelling? And the key goes back to what the key has always been. Plot and character, plot and character, right? And the plot serves the characters and the characters serve the plot. And if you serve story in those two aspects, you can do anything. And another inversion that we're seeing with Stranger Things is that, you know, it, rather than us going to the 80s, it is set in the 80s. Yep. And in pulling some songs from the 80s, they've pushed not one, but two songs that were popular and had their time in the 80s back up to the top of the charts because... The, the viewership now, they want to hear that song more. They want to, uh, it's a, like a discovery or whatever. So it's fascinating how we're starting to see ripples, you mm-hmm. know, from, from our Doctor Who telephone booth, you know, well, looking at. Well, obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously, we can say that obviously, if you do go back into the past, you do affect the future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and know? and here we, here we have a great example <laughs> of a story, a wonderfully told story. Um, and uh, I can't wait for season five because of the way season four ended. Um, but well told and having ripple effects of pulling stuff from the past and making it, um, you know, it just kind of proves our point. You know, running up that hill is was a great song back then, and uh, kids or viewers are listening to it now and saying, No, that that appeals to me it, it resonates with me same thing with master of the puppets from metallica so kate bush metallica suddenly relevant um in 2022 well you know uh, because of this so it's again a different kind of time travel which is there was, a, there was a show in that which again people can go back and see now because i'm sure it's it's on some platform somewhere buffy the vampire slayer oh yes it used to be uh also a great source for music for pumping music out uh-huh. into the public eye, you know, or public ear, uh, they would. We, and, you know, it's the creator that has put a damper on that classic show. You know, master of uh, storytelling, but you know, it's come out over the last couple of years that maybe not master of interpreneur, interpersonal communications or treating people yeah. well, which is sad. Um, it, it, well, I studied know. that guy. Yeah, uh, because his, his writing was so strong or, or the uh, Buffy and Angel and Firefly and all that was so strong. Um, it's It was really sad to see that turn. Um, but again, if you want to watch, um, there's only one element of his thing, one trope that he created that I think has has worn out. And that's the trope that you have to kill. Uh, uh, a major part or a main part of the cast for there to be real stakes. That's become so worn out. You know, when people start saying, all right, who's going to die by the end of the season, then it's no longer an effective piece of uh, storytelling. It's just a tired trope. Yeah. So I would hope that people move away from that and find different ways. You know what? Tell a great story. There you go. You don't have to kill someone for it to be. And when it becomes a crutch instead of uh, strong storytelling, that's a problem. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because, um, again, way back, way back, there is a silent film, which I uh, (laughs) Yeah, way back. No, I was not around when this was made, Um, but it's called Battle for the Potemkin. And Mm -hmm. it has this classic scene, which um, 
the, the quick bit of history behind it is at one point in the film, uh, sailors, government sailors, so, you know, the soldiers, sailors that have decided to protest the way the government, the, the Russian government is treating its people and, and its military. And so the, the battleship is in dock in the city, but they have formed a strike and they're not going to cooperate until better conditions for all are met by the government. So there's a scene where the townspeople have gathered on this magnificent town square uh, stairwell, right? Wide stairwell, uh, many steps going down. And all the townspeople, so many of the townspeople in their finery, as well as the poor, the disabled, they're all congregating on these steps, step, 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 platform, step, 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 platform, going down and, aim, and facing the, the docks and waving to the soldiers in support. And the soldiers of the czar, with rifles appear at the top of the steps behind the crowd, take aim and open fire on the crowd. And people start running down the stairs in panic and people are getting shot and falling over. People are getting trampled. And it's a really long scene of running down these stairs and people getting shot. And there's one particular moment where a mother is shot and she's got a baby carriage. And she's been trying to get the carriage down the steps. She falls, the baby's in the carriage, the carriage starts going down the steps heading for eventually, obviously, some sort of crash and, and, you know, obviously the baby being injured. This scene was, shall we say, an homage to this scene was done at several points throughout film history. And the Untouchables? The, well, before that, even Woody Allen, mm -hmm. uh, you're right, he did it with one. There was another one. And then, yes, The Untouchables, the Kevin Costner Untouchables movie. There's a scene at a, like a, a Penn Station Grand Central Station right. sort of thing, same stairwell, basket, almost almost the same era of the basket and the kid in there and a big shootout at the same time. And, you know, when you show this to people, you know, they go, well, wait a minute, they're copying. Yeah, you could say that. You could say they're paying homage to it. You're saying, you know, it's inspiring or whatever. But it also says that there's, there's really not a lot of new. What there is is reinterpretation. Nothing how, new under the sun. It's right, all about right, your expression right. of it. Yep. Right. How do you see this? What can you do with this that brings a fresh view to it or a new POV to it? And, and again, that's what I also try and share with, with my writing students. It's not worrying about, oh, someone's probably done this story before. It's not about that. It's about what do you bring to the table? Right. What do you see? How do you see this story? Because again, we are filters of, of our experiences of the stories we want to tell. Everything filters through us, how we were raised, what we believe, you know, how we feel about things. All of that is a filter that our storytelling passes through on the way to a finished piece. And I can certainly attest that it affects me on all levels, whether I'm doing a play or I'm doing a novel or I'm doing a children's book or I'm doing an Archie comic, doesn't matter. Some part of that story is filtered through all that makes me who I am. And so subsequently, looking at the old material, the things that have gone before, it's not necessarily going, oh, you know, now I, I, you know, I'm looking at this, I see this has been done before, I can't do it again. No, it's what was done before? How did it make you feel? What's fun about it? And what does it spark as a methodology or a, an idea or a theme that you want to explore? And right. where do you want and, to go with that? You know, and it's it's understanding 
the writing concepts and stuff, and the, you know, like uh, homage as opposed to copyright infringement right. is an important thing to know, right? Yeah. And also, you know, if we go way back to July, our last episode. Yeah, way back. We, um, <laughs> we're talking back then about uh, Marvel Phase 4 movies where the imprint of the director overshadowed the material. You know, so what you're saying here about going back and being influenced by a classic scene, you know, it makes a subtle point that uh, creatives are, it's worth considering is that pulling a classic scene like that and figuring out how to do your homage or your take on it without copying, without plagiarizing without copyright infringement and to reference our previous episode without putting your stamp as more important than the story stamp you know mm. always got to serve the story you and i um we did a blackjack story in which we wanted to pay homage to yeah, it was done once in Lone Ranger. It was done once in another story where, you know, the guy is about, he's on a horse with a noose. He's about to get um, killed. They're going to, you know, slap the horse, make it run out beneath it. There you go. Yep. And um, there's a, uh, a shooting of the noose and a grand escape and all that. And we love that scene so much. We wanted to pay homage to it. And, the trick was to nod to it without ripping it off. And we, we took some time to, to have that respect mm. and to figure out how we can do it without being in a ripoff, without it being, you know, and that's, that's what we see. That's what we're talking about with the yeah. homages. And it's worth, since you're in your Doctor Who booth and traveling the, uh, you know, the entertainment universe and you can also go and see how that was handled a couple of different times absolutely and then and then okay what what do i bring to it and yeah really what do i bring what's my spin on it and, I, and that's that's a that's a that's a kind of a thin line to to dance across you know what do i bring with it without being more me than story always have to serve the story well you know one of the things that i i tend to try and share um, for instance, I'll use the Romeo and Juliet trope of, uh, you know, two, two, two lovers who want to be together, but circumstances or forces are, 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 are actively working to prevent that, right? And you can, you can say, when I say the Romeo and Juliet, people might immediately think, okay, two teenagers. No, no, it can be any age. And I've mm -hmm. seen it at, at any age. Okay, so then the two forces are, you know, their families. No. It could be jobs. It could be gender. It could be society as a whole. It could be if they're racist and human, you know, whatever, you know, it's any number of ways of doing this. There's, um, you know, so it's, it's really like, well, taking the trope or taking, taking the conflict and saying, okay, how do I want to explore this conflict? And then who are the characters that I'm going to create to explore this conflict? Because that's okay. another place where it changes, where it's, it's no longer two teenagers, male, female, blah, blah, blah. It's now whatever you've created. And then where do they come from that also changes it a bit 
And then what are you trying to say with the story? And that changes it a bit. Right. So it's levels of the material and how you work it that really helps to make it yours without the story suffering by putting your thumbprint and saying, see how clever I'm being? No, right. it's how good a storyteller are you being by letting the characters and the plot engage us and take us on this journey and show us something. And that's where we get so much richness of learning and uh, uh, deepening our understanding by traveling the time of the entertainment universe and <laughs> picking and choosing and deep diving and going on the Wayback Machine and, you know, researching, you know, like your students. I want to see this. Well, look at this and this and this. And then inform, you know, you have informed choices. It's a... It's an amazing time to be a story addict. Yeah, I would. I would also say it. It you know this particular uh, ability to to bounce around again to do the Doctor Who, to do the Who thing, uh, is well, is, <laughs> is, that's the yeah. wrong Who. <laughs> it's also it's also good in terms of exploring genres too because mm -hmm. you know a lot of the genres popped up. Different genres were popular at different times. Right. Right. You know, and so you can explore Westerns. You can explore the private eye genre. You can explore the com the comedy genre, the slapstick comedy genre. You can explore so many and, and also get a sense of where society was at that particular time as right. well. And what was the family sitcom like in the 50s and the 60s yeah. and the 70s? Yeah, and where are we now? And what what genres are most popular right now? And how does that, you know, uh, what does that tell us about where society is right now and what we're dealing with or what we're going through or what we're looking for? Right. So it's, it's really advantageous that you have these doors that you can go through now. Oh yeah. And, and should definitely use that as, as Isaac Asimov once said, um, and also Ray Bradbury also said, you know, to, to fill yourself with ideas mm -hmm. and information and characters and possibilities and stories and all that. So that when you are ready to create, you have a rich pool to pull from. So that you can tell the damn, the damn story. story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So that was good, right? Right, Chris, you enjoyed that? I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh that was, matter of fact, I'm gonna go watch some more stuff. <laughs> that's right. I'm I whet my appetite to go and watch some more uh streaming. Yes. See where we're gonna go. I don't know if I'll go as far back. As Alex Simmons. Alex Simmons is the silver surfer yeah. of uh, of the <laughs> streaming universe. He goes everywhere. I boldly uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Right. All right. So go, you know, it's the dog days of summer. Go and yes, turn on right. AC. Go, go watch something. Take yeah. your uh, remote control and find something you've never seen before and deep dive. Right. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Peace, Alex. We'll see you soon. Peace, Peace everybody.